this week on a lively experiment. The Tidewater Landing Project in Pawtucket gets new life by the slimmest of margins. And Governor McKee picks up some big endorsements this week. How much will they matter? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Bob Walsh, Executive Director of the National Education Association, Rhode Island. Ian Donis, political reporter for The Public's Radio. And Rhode Island Republican Party Chairwoman, Sue Sienke. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. The Rhode Island Commerce Corporation needed a tie-breaking vote by Governor McKee on Monday to shift already approved taxpayer subsidies to fund construction of a soccer stadium in Pawtucket, as the projected cost has ballooned over the past year. It's part of a larger project that developers envision including housing and some commercial space. Um, Ian, let me begin with you. Uh, this is one of these projects, it's either going to be the savior for Pawtucket or it's going to take us right down the financial rabbit hole for years to come. Well, there it could be more of a middle path. I think there's some strong arguments on both sides of this, Jim. I mean, we're all sympathetic to Pawtucket after the loss of the Paw Sox a few years ago. There's no doubt that the city needs more economic development. Don Grebian's a very self-effacing kind of mayor. He seems to want the best for his community. At the same time, we know, as the sports economists say, that these uh, stadiums are often not good as from an economic model. The question is, will this vision really come about of enough activity around the stadium that would create jobs and make it more of an attraction. And already Pawtucket has emerged as more of a bedroom community for some commuters to, to Boston. The thing that strikes me is how uh, Governor McKee has been very clear in his support for this. He's not shown any of the equivocation that former Governor Raimondo did about the Paw Sox deal. Of course, he needs to run very strong in the, in the Blackstone Valley to enhance his chances of winning the governor's office. But I think a lot of how this pans out is due to the larger economy. I mean, the whole thing's been downsized due to the, uh, you know, inflationary pressures post-COVID. If the economy's hot, that would heighten the chances for things working out. If there's a recession, that could cool things even further. Sue is on the one end of this is taking <laughs> us down the financial <laughs> rabbit hole. This is this is taking us down the financial rabbit hole. You know, first when it was envisioned as a public-private partnership, which I don't necessarily have any big objections to. They can work out very well, but you have to put safeguards in. What has happened since is they skinnied down the project. So the original vision of this soccer stadium, residential and retail space was probably not a bad idea to reinvigorate the Pawtucket area, but that's not what's happening. Now what you've got is a soccer stadium and we look at it, a soccer stadium. It's not a professional soccer stadium. It's a semi-professional soccer stadium. So they envision throughout the country, maybe about 4,000 fans come to that. The developers of this say, oh no, 7,200 will come. Well, where are they coming from? Because the New England Revolution is 17 miles north of the stadium. They have a professional soccer that maybe they attract 18,000 people to Gillette, so they don't fill up Gillette. Um, my kids played soccer growing up. They would hand out these free tickets to soccer teams just to fill the stadium. Then they also have a feeder program and an under-19 soccer 
up at Gillette. So where are you going to get the fans that are going to come to Pawtucket? Yeah, and the sports economists will tell you it's, it's not, not new money. It's not new it's money. It's shifting money. It's shifting money. And certainly for 17 games, it's going to sit idle, much like the Pawtucket we call it the Paw Soccer Stadium now. It's going to be a financial disaster. Oh, I hadn't heard that before. That's new. Bob, what do you think? You'll probably hear it again then if <laughs> Sue is calling it that. Um, I'm uh, much more in line with Ian on this issue. This was remarkable leadership by Governor McKee. This was not a political vote because they could have ducked it. They could have delayed it a few more months. This was actually visionary leadership vote. This is what we need. Circumstances changed. Prices went up because of inflation and the economic conditions. They decided to focus on the core piece first. And if people actually read the articles and listened to the dialogue, one, they slayed the demon of 38 studios because this deal has all the guardrails in place that that deal didn't. They slayed the demon of the loss of the Paw Sox by instead of dithering for another year to get it beyond an election, they showed bold leadership and they got it done. And it does not negate the housing, which is a critical part of this, because there's other money available to do the housing. There's other money to, available to do the rest of the economic development. So they saw with higher costs on the core piece that had to be done, they shifted the resources there. I thought it was remarkable, and this could be the type of thing that, that finally makes people say, Dan McKee's the governor of Rhode Island, and he's willing to show bold leadership. Political, <laughs> political discussion. Look at the vote. The five votes for were all politicians and consultants. The four that were against it were all business people that understand Wait what a it takes. The, they one were. of the ones that was against it was the brother of one of his Democratic yeah. opponents. The other was the finance chair. I mean, this was a political vote against it. Yeah, but you <laughs> just said it's not a political vote. It was a political no, vote. No, I said it wasn't a political vote. He didn't politicize oh, wait, the wait issue. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You like, you like Dan McKee because the NEA just supported him, which is shocking we'll to me. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> shocking to me. Quite and to the AFL-CIO came out and endorsed the governor right after he, he came out with this vote. So it was a political I vote. I wonder, though, that it, he's it actually may, before the But I also, <laughs> Bob and Ian, as, as the counter-argument, you read immediately the Globe and everybody else went to the sports guy, the sports economist up at Holy Cross, and they interview everybody across the country who said, this basically does not work. So I don't know what, the, in terms of making it financially, the problem is you shift all that money from the housing that gets back-ended now, and they're putting all their eggs in the soccer basket. So you wonder, with the housing, then you know they're going to come back for more money. Right? I mean, don't you think that's a given? It's a fair question, and we know there is a serious need for more housing units across the state. I mean, but soccer is very popular in Rhode Island. I think Sue raises some very fair questions about whether it will draw as projected to, but at the same time, we've got a burgeoning <coughs> Latino community and other folks who are very enthousi enthusiastic about soccer. I was an enthusiastic soccer player in college. I played soccer. I am not going to Pawtucket to go watch a professional Were you a soccer, soccer mom? team. Yes, I was. All right. Soccer mom. But I was I, also I a soccer player. I would hockey mom, too. No. That's based on a different... Soccer. Throwing elbows as you go in. Hey, uh, I was where, goalie, where, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, where, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's almost the same. We're a top 10 soccer market, according to the sports economists. I'd rather have the Paw Sox. Ian would rather have the Paw Sox. That train has left the station. Doesn't it also, this make, is doesn't it also make you realize how small money the Paw Sox was comparatively? This. And I realize yes, this is a much Jim, larger, it does. We're right? very frustrated. I mean, we lost it for what, 15, 20 well, million dollars, right? 
Yes. The Sox Sox already had a built-in base. Like people that did not want to go up and watch the Red Sox and not spend the money. Right. Sox was a cheap ticket. From the Cape. Well, that analogy Worcester, from... holds to soccer, No, too. it doesn't. That, I don't think you're going to draw the amount of people that you would for the Paw Sox do, for do baseball. Do you think the demographics have changed? Look, uh, clearly soccer is growing in certain segments of society that Rhode Island has changed that much, that that's going to be the new baseball for Rhode Island? In your mind? Or well, not? I mean, baseball faces a lot of challenges. The typical Major League Baseball fan is someone like me who's gotten a little long in the tooth. But <laughs> I, I think soccer does have more support from, you know, younger people generally, uh, Latinos, uh, you know, people from some other places, Portugal. Um, and I, I think it is an up-and-coming thing. But I, I'm not a, a student of professional soccer, so I can't really assess the drawing power. What about Bob's point that the money is back-ended, that there are guardrails, that a dime doesn't go out the door until they actually get something done? Yeah, I actually don't think that there are enough guardrails. I mean, I think there has to be a lot more oversight. I am not a big proponent of spending public money on soccer stadiums or any type of uh, athletic facility. You know, if somebody wants to build it, go ahead and build it. I think the nice idea in this project was it was going to be all-encompassing, and now it's not. So um, it will be interesting. I know Pawtucket is trying to make a name for itself. It's trying to rejuvenate itself. A lot of the mill buildings have been turned into residential and small businesses, that's, that's a great way to go and grow your city. Um, certainly if they had a train station there where the people could commute back and forth to Boston. But then again, you know, COVID hit, people are working from home now. So we, we really have to look at a very different way of how we look at the economy anyway, uh, from where businesses actually stay and where people are working. So from. let's talk the political angle. Let's get into the governor's race. Do you think, you're right. So I think it, it's the fastest scheduling for a groundbreaking I'd ever heard. At first I thought it was going to be this Friday. The groundbreaking's Friday. It's like, you know, yeah. the ink's not even dry on the vote. It's two weeks. It's going to be August 12th. But how do you think this affects Dan McKee going into the fall? I mean, it's going to get some negative press. I think no, sure people it is. But, talking, I mean, I think... but do you think he's not concerned? About, I mean, everything gets... I, seen through a political lens with seven it, weeks to the primary. This is the part that I think is being overlooked, and I referenced it in my earlier remarks. This is leadership. As governor, Dan McKee said, I believe in this project. I will find a way to make it happen. That's leadership. I know that's a shock to people. Didn't care that it's an election year. He saw something he thought was the right thing to do, and he actually did it. That is, that is brilliant, and that's what people have been crying out for. And, and people like Ian and myself, who were hollering to the skies, get this Paw Sox deal done, and they kept delaying and then delaying it, and once it went out to bidding, so to speak, and Worcester swooped in, we were never going to compete. We could have kept them here, and we didn't. This was leadership. I don't want Springfield to steal this from us. I'm glad it's in Rhode Island. And I think you know, there will be people who vote against Dan McKee because of this. But even if they disagree with the project, they, they're going to have to the agree he showed remarkable leadership. The flip side of the coin from the sports economist is things are, like a Paw Sox stadium or a soccer stadium are nice to have. It's nice to have sports cultural amenities in a community. And, you know, you don't... Uh, you don't get the stadium just as an economic generator. The aspiration is that this will create other stuff. Whether that will really happen, who knows? But I, but you know, to Bob's point, it is nice to have these kinds of things. I think we 
are sad for the loss of the Paw Sox because it was a cherished community institution and investing in it wasn't going to re revitalize or rejuvenate Rhode Island's economy, but it would have been nice to still have the Paw Sox here. And Governor McKee took a little bit of a shot at, you know, perhaps former Governor Raimondo, former Speaker Mattiello, and saying, you know, I'm not going to let this slip away. And there was a little bit of a shot of how the Paw Sox issue was handled. I think this helps him a little bit in Pawtucket. I think there are broader factors that will influence the race for governor. And I've been struck by how neither of the two top rivals to McKee in the primary, Nellie Gorbea and Helena Folks, have yet really taken the fight to McKee. And when you have an incumbent who has certain advantages, you have to give voters a reason to toss that person out. I think anyone who's following this close uh, this race closely right now sees it as a toss-up, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see another shoe drop as far as a cascade of negative advertising from one, two, or all three of the top Democrats. Yeah, I think when you say that it shows extreme leadership, no, it shows political savvy. He needs 30% to get out of the Democratic primary. What is he trying to do? He's going after the union vote. He went after the trades. He went after the NEA. He's trying to shore up that to get out of the Democratic primary. Because I don't think this plays throughout the rest of the state that you're using taxpayer dollars for a soccer stadium. It may play in Pawtucket. It may play with certain of the building trades. Absolutely, he needs that 30% to survive the Democratic Democratic primary. It's not going to be easy. You're right. The power of incumbency always usually helps um, a person, but he's got Nelly chipping right at his feet, and he certainly has Helena coming up strong from behind. So he's got he's got to put all of his eggs into getting through that Democratic primary. I do not understand politically why Nelly said a bad word about this. Um, her, the demographic of a core of her vote, including people who have committed to her campaign, are pro-stadium, so we'll see if there's a reshuffling of those commitments. I understand Helena's position against it as a political position. Um, again, when your brother's, not that, not that she's her brother's keeper, he could have voted one way and, and he could have voted the other. By the way, that was leadership from Dan McKee, too. Uh, young Bernie Bonanno, young in the sense that Junior. His dad is still around. He's the third, actually. Yeah. Junior chairs a convention center authority. Um, his term had expired on the Commerce Corp. Dan didn't replace him, could have replaced him. If he wanted to be political, he could have replaced him a year ago. One wanted the diverse point of view. He left him on the board to speak his piece on the other side of the issue. Um, and, you know, he was the tiebreaker vote. You know, had it not come down to a tie vote, the governor wouldn't have had a, had had to vote at all on on it. Yeah, why so did those two people walk? Thing. I don't <laughs> know. They took a walk. They, they took a walk. Did, oh. You know, the they, time old actually, tradition. Yeah. They took a walk. Actually, right. they thought they were a member of the general assembly that didn't want to commit, they, so they, they took a walk. Like, I don't know. Um, let's talk a little bit about. We'll get back to the primary, but let's talk about Ashley Kalis because mm -hmm. there was an ad that went up, and I always look. I know the consultants tell you to do this, but the ad makes it sound like it's Dan McKee's fault. The gas is at you know. 450 a gallon and I know they're linking Biden right. and McKee and I get that is this the time to start going negative is this a good time so I think you know Ashley's got to get her name out you know she has never and she been, has been she she has to get her name out she has to get her name known she has to let everybody know that she's a fighter she has to tell her story because if she doesn't somebody else is going to tell the story for her here is a woman that was homeless when she was younger she worked her way up she ran a very successful business she's here she loves Rhode Island she wanted to come back to this area and when she came back she's like well, gee, how do you get anything done here? There's too much regulation. I think that I'm the person that could actually step up to the plate. She has got to make her, herself 
How, why would people vote for me? Because I'm different than the 80 years of Democratic control. Are things better here? No, it's a beautiful state. I always say it's a beautiful state with a storied history and fabulous landscape, but we don't do enough here. How do we attract businesses here? And you talk about Nellie Gorbea, she came out and said that she wants to, you know, up the corporate tax on corporations. How are you gonna attract businesses here if you're gonna overtax The them? Republican, the strategy could be but just sit back. Why is Ashley hitting Dan and not Nellie then? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, because, because it looks as if Dan is the front runner right now. So why are you oh, going right, to go good. after Nellie? Good. Yeah, it's a balancing. Well, so I mean, and, and the, the, the theory from some <laughs> well, polls. Based on the polls, he still is leading. He still is the leading. Well, I think it's. I think you would call it neck and neck. Well, it's neck and neck. Two, you know. But some would think let the Democrats beat beat each other up. But I think to Sue's point, she she's not a known. She's not a Don Kachiri. She's not a Link Common. She's not an Ed Dupree, so you need to be on the airwaves. What about her strategy right now? In your yeah, mind? I mean, the benefit for Ashley Kalos, as you say, she doesn't really have a competitive primary. Uh, she has been on TV a lot in recent months. Probably a lot of people who had never heard of her before now know her name and who she is. I did an interview with her, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, and you know, she was talking more about goals that we can all agree are important, like a better economy. She was a little bit thin on the, the how of her approach, her strategy for getting from here to there. And you know, she has time without a competitive primary to put the more policy details together, but I would hope to hear from her more on the how of how she would uh, plan to try to achieve the goals that she talks about wanting to do. And I also think that our primary here is probably one of the latest in the country. It is so late. So it is very should hard. Be in May. Well, it should be in May. Should it is, be in May. It, it is so one of agree. my big proponents. <laughs> yeah, we, we would all Let's agree it tape, should huh? be earlier. It's so late. So, in terms of people will start voting almost immediately after the right. September primary. So for Ashley, you've got to get your name out there. You've got to be well, a player Well, and early already. voting for the primary begins August 24th. So we're right, right around. No, we're, we, we're already That's, in the game uh, right now. Um, before we get, I do want to talk about some General Assembly races. Seven weeks left. What do, in, in, our, in your mind, the three major candidates at this point, McKee, Folks, and Gorbea, what do they have to do to position themselves? This race will come down to two main things in my view. One is the ground game, the effort on the ground to I, target voters, identify voters, Voters, identify your supporters, get those supporters to vote, and also how the messaging changes. Uh, as we've seen, folks has come up a lot from the start of the race. I think it is a neck-and-neck neck race where all of the top three Democrats have a plausible chance of winning the primary. How will they message? I mean, is one or more of those candidates going to pull out? I'm surprised we haven't seen an attack ad on the Illo Group controversy. Uh, you know, that seems like an issue tailor-made for an attack ad, and perhaps we will I believe uh, Ashley Kalis has one in the bank for after. Exactly. If the governor survives. Exactly. But yeah, I think I think we're going to see some harsh punches thrown between where we are now and primary day. Quick thoughts, just a minute on your thoughts about what each candidate has to do. Um, I know who your guy is, but yeah, and I and I think uh, Dan McKee is going to be the Democratic nominee, not with an overwhelming amount of the vote, because we've got five names on the ballot, and they're going to split it up nicely. I think it's useful to be attacked by the re presumptive Republican nominee. It reminds folks, oh, McKee and Biden teamed up together. The Republicans are even afraid of him. It's all good stuff. Um, I think Helena uh, folks and, and Nellie Gorbea take votes away from each other to some extent. To me, the interesting political trivia is, <laughs> does Matt Brown do well enough to push Nellie from second to third place? 
Yeah. Because I think uh, the marginal votes to Matt Brown come from Nellie Gorbea yeah, at the end of the I'm not holding my breath analysis. on Matt Brown. No, no, I think he comes in. If he gets below how 10%, much, how much Nellie's in second. Away? If he yeah. gets above 10%, then Nellie's in third. That's how I see it. Um, <laughs> General Assembly races. Yeah, apparently Susie Yankee's been doing a lot of work that we didn't <laughs> see behind the scenes. We, we were critical of you, and now we have you here. You, you really should have been critical for me, because when I took the job, I, I said you are you. not going to see immediate change. Yeah, but we didn't, see a, candidate, well, we didn't see a candidate for governor until January when yeah, in October a, you had said, well, we were looking in Rhode Island. We needed to look in Ohio. Illinois. There's a 12-year plan. There's a 12-year plan, oh, and you're not going to change things overnight. You sound like so. Peter Alviti. you got the 10-year <laughs> plan for the about some of the races. You, for, for the first time in a lot of years, we write every year about how, oh, all these races uncontested. Whether the Republicans are going to be competitive, at least a lot of them got their signatures or in the race. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, it's going to give people a choice. So people have a choice. For years, they've been saying, well, you know, I vote for Joe Smith because there was nobody else on the ballot, or I didn't show up to vote. Now that there will be some competitive races, I can tell you we've got some really great, very well-qualified people. Um, we've got Amanda Blau, who's running in East Greenwich in District 30 against Justine Caldwell. Amanda is smart. She's young. She is out there knocking on doors every day. Of course, we're bringing back Doreen Koster, who barely got defeated in the Senate district. She was redistricted out. She'll be running against Bridget Valverde. We've got Alan Myers running over on the East Bay, which surprises me. You know, we, we did a data-driven, we're very, uh, very much so a data-driven organization, and we looked at where we could possibly make inroads, and it surprised me at some of the places where Republicans actually stepped up and they said, this is the year that we could actually win because people are frustrated. People are frustrated over pocketbook issues. When we knock on doors, the data that we are receiving back, 83% of the people, the top issue is the cost of living and inflation. Number two, sorry, Bob, it happens to be education. P parents are frustrated. I'm just happy to be on the list. Yeah, you're on the list. <laughs> Number two, it is, Top issues are inflation and education. So that's really what our um, candidates are focusing in on. But we've got a number of great candidates. We've got Joe Powers running against Lombardi in Cranston. He's really good. Jason Klaus is running against Brendan Potter in Cranston, too. So um, With a little help from Charlene Lima? Yeah, well, Charlene <laughs> kept calling me up saying, you've got to find somebody. And I go, I have somebody. You hear that? I have somebody. <laughs> so, I have somebody. So what, um, can we do an expansion draft? Because I have yeah. some I can and give to got, you and some of yours that I you want. Know, Marie <laughs> you want to name names? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Marie Hopkins yes. is out there working very hard. She's running against Camille Vilma Wilkinson. And we actually got Dana Traversi, who is going to be our next speaker All right, Before we get the whole scorecard, what are your thoughts about Republicans? they got they got to show up. Well, got to get the voters to show up. There's been nowhere. Work. Nowhere to go but up. I mean, it's been a tough <laughs> slog for many years for the GOP in Rhode Island. Uh, we, and then I came along. That's right. And but uh, fortunately for Sue, it's a could be a congenial atmosphere this year for Republicans to make gains with voters angry and ornery about inflation and gas prices. And I think Sue has worked hard to find more candidates and to run, uh, particularly in some of the purple districts that she mentioned, like those represented by Senator Valverde and Rep Caldwell. Those sometimes flip from 
Democrat to Republican and vice versa. So those are some races to definitely watch this year. And how much will the second congressional district, that's going to drive voters? No, I, I, I have said on the show before, and I'll say it since Sue is here, that uh, Sue has done a phenomenal job in recruiting candidates. Do We're we going to find now, some things out. Well, well I, I, you know, I, I'm going to be a statesman soon. So I tell the like I do tell like, like I see it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Democrats have so many candidates, however, that unlike Sue, I can't name them all right now. But it's still a lively extra. It's still, it's still an impressive list. One thing we're going to find out, and this is objective analysis, has this been a real realignment? Is East Greenwich, where we both live, now blue, or is it purple? And it doesn't. It's not just one loss. It's how close some of these races come because these are new challenges, and sometimes it takes a couple of times to get your name out there and win. Has the state realigned in a fundamental way? Is the western part of the state more your turf, and is the turf that you used to control now my turf? Yeah. And it's and it, that is yeah, a fascinating question. And we're also going to see it manifest, as you as you pointed out, in the second congressional district. That's going to be a close race. My team's going to win, but that's going to be a it's, close they're race. They're not going to win. I think we're going to win because Providence is going to come through. And I, you know what <laughs> I am particularly interested in is the treasurer's race. When we talk about these public-private partnerships, you're talking about the Superman building. You're talking about Tidewater. We need an adult in that seat. And Jim Lathrop is our candidate. That he's the finance he's director. Got a he's got an extremely strong background. He is not a politician. He is definitely a finance professional that is someone we need in that office we don't need somebody that does not know what they're doing you're talking about state workers their pensions you know he's one of those he's very concerned about how the money is being is that spent. a conflict of interest that no. his pensions no. all right we'll, we'll uh, let's do uh, to hire let's do let's talk about the background yeah let's do uh, outrageous background. or kudos what do you have mr wall uh well i cannot at the end of my 30-year career with uh, the national education association where bob's going into uh, retirement i'm going to be that. yeah i'm going to be a political commentator now i i just have to say you know a moment of thanks to uh, our 12,000 members. I was driving up here thinking about that's probably over time, you know, 20,000 different folks I've had the honor to represent. And then you think about all the schools that they work in, uh, not only the K-12 schools, but our higher education institutions and, and the city and town halls and the state where they work. I've uh, had the opportunity to help some folks and have some interesting dialogues and some fascinating times, and it has been the honor of my life to do so. And I get to do fun things like this. Well, and, and more recently, things. you've started Twitter War. So, and, uh, Bob. I occasionally, well, I, I make media. Twitter peace sometimes, but yeah, occasionally Con I get into Twitter War. Congratulations, he's not going away from Lively. So, exactly. We'll be back as the political and that's the closing statement. <laughs> what do you have, Ian? <laughs> Uh, my outrage is the uh, meme shared by a Tiverton restaurant about the Holocaust and, and the hot weather. I, I mean, this, uh, you can be of any ideological persuasion and find this outrageous. Uh, this was just very offensive, and it was taken down, and the owner of this restaurant apologized. But his apology seemed more an effort to try and move past this than really an effort to, under, to explain why he came up with this. I mean, it didn't really uh, pass water that he unwittingly posted this. I think you had to look sp specifically for this kind of offensive meme to stumble upon it. And uh, it was just, you know, very troubling and it was heartening that so many people uh, called this out for being very despicable. He stole my outreach, so I'll go Would to my like kudos. To elaborate? Oh, no, kudos I'm not going to elaborate because yeah. I think he did an ex outstanding job. Thank you. Um, my kudos is to Senator Jessica De La Cruz for passing the, the bill that makes it a crime now for anybody over 14 um, to have sexual relations with children in school. I think that uh, that was a long, hard fight. Um, my 
seatmate over here pushed back a little bit, but this year he understood that it really needed to be taken well, care of. Well, I have of. to defend myself. We always understood the time that there was pushback from the folks in my shop and the other unions when they singled out teachers. Any caregiver, any caregiver, any adult with a position of responsibility over someone of that age who abuses that responsibility deserves to do hard time, and we've always said that. We did not like when they tried to politicize it and talk about just teachers because there was a political angle, not a social justice You get the angle. last 15 seconds on that. No, I think that initially they did have a bunch. They had coaches, teachers, anybody that had and things. And we weren't against that, and, though. It just didn't five, go anywhere. Five years ago, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, but so I don't, I, I, I don't that, get the vote on those. Yeah, uh, five <laughs> years ago, it's something that's been pushed forward. So I want to give kudos to Senator Jessica De La Cruz for staying on top of that. And parents, the Parents United group that was really pushing hard for it. So right. it's about time. Folks, it's not over. We're having such a good time. we got to do a Lively Extra. We have a couple of national issues to get to. So if you can't join us online for Lively Extra, we'll say goodbye to Ian and Sue and Bob. The rest of you stick with us. Go right now to ripbs.org lively. We have a couple of other issues to get to you. And if you can't do any of that, come back here and join us next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.